I do have one sheet here for people. We have a group that prays. Patty, would you go ahead and pass? If you haven't already signed up and would like to, we have a group of people that pray during the Sunday school time. They take requests, and you might notice um, you should have some pamphlets in front of you in the seat underneath in front of you, and there's a place for cards for prayer requests. And we encourage you to take those and fill them out, and uh, people will be praying for your needs in the next hour. So please take note of that and uh, utilize it as God leads you. So we're talking about rejoicing in wrath today. (laughs) How many of you think that's kind of an ironic thing? Rejoicing in wrath. Revelation 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had been victorious over the beast in the image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord of God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened, and the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed with linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels was finished. You know, it's ironic that... uh, there are so many movies out there with the theme of revenge, uh, vigilante justice. Uh, it's it's very popular theme. Um, I mean, I know that most of you have probably seen one. Um, the main character's family has somehow been killed by some nasty uh, criminal lord of some kind, and so then this guy. Uh, our, our hero, if you will, systematically takes the whole organization down one person at a time, and we're just kind of anticipating. And each time it gets a little bit more intense, and then he finally gets to the kingpin of the organization, and he takes him out, and we're so glad. <laughs> at least that's how the movie wants us to move. And you know what? The Bible, in some respects, is similar because the main character is God, and the sins of mankind are the enemies of God, wreaking havoc on the world. And God works to set it right. But the systems of this world are rigged against him. Injustice and human ingenuity cannot stop the tide of evil. Eventually, after all that God has done to express his kindness and mercy in Christ, he at some point 
acts to end all evil. And that's where we are in this Revelation study. We find an, an, an introduction to a third phase of God's judgments, namely the seven bowls or seven vials of wrath. And like the previous judgments, you remember the seven seals early on in the book of Revelation and then came the seven trumpets and now we've come to the seven bowls. As God's judgments are explained in each one of those series of seven, details are laid out. Now, there are a lot of people that interpret things differently about that. But the main thing is this that I want to get across, is that whenever God is going to act, John always points out that something very significant happens in heaven, and that is worship. Worship happens. When these angels ready themselves and they're given these vials to pour out, what happens? There's worship. And they sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And I thought, well, what's the song of Moses? So I dug back into the Old Testament, and there's actually two of them. Did you know that? Both of them were top tens in Israel. (laughs) In Exodus chapter 15, Moses writes a song right after their deliverance from Egypt. Right after the plagues had taken place, the ten plagues upon the people of, of Egypt, and then the last one, of course, was the plague of the death of the firstborn, and then they, were, they came out of Egypt, and you remember they were drawn by the Spirit of God to the Red Sea, and they were actually cornered, It's kind of like Gideon's story, right? They were cornered, they were outnumbered, the chariots are coming. God placed himself between the people of Israel and Pharaoh's armies. And then God opened up the sea and they were able to walk across the sea on dry ground. And when they got across the sea, then God moved and Pharaoh's army began to attack. But before they could get across the sea, the Bible tells us the waters crashed in on them and destroyed his entire army. And so Moses wrote a song. I will sing unto the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And he talks about the wonderful deliverance of God. The fact that he's our Savior and our Redeemer. But there's another song too. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And in that song, Moses is explaining where all the people come from where the nations have come from, and how the the people of the nations had begun to serve other gods. But God had taken this one nation called Israel and made made them his possession, and he blessed them and he delivered them, and what did they do? They forsook him. They began to, to follow after other gods. And just like the nations around them, they left the Lord. I think we can glean something from both these songs. First of all, Exodus is a song of deliverance and the overwhelming power of God. Exodus is a song about how God demonstrated who he is in light of the world's empires of the time. See, 
you understand, Pharaoh at the time was promoted as a living God on the earth. And that he was the king over everything that people knew. And he was considered to be divine. And God says, no, you're not. In the same way in Deuteronomy 32, the nations were serving other gods and people rose up, kings of Babylon, kings of the Medes and the Persians and so forth. We know that from history. And all of them thought they were divine. You probably heard of the divine right of kings that even took place in in, uh, the British Isles back in the day and uh, in Europe and different places. And Moses laments the fact that God's people were sucked in by these false gods. He writes in Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, and I ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His way is perfect. All of his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. And later on in that same chapter, he would write, and he's, this is, he's speaking as if now this is the voice of God. God says, it's, is it not laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine, and retribution in due time, for their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them, For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their strength is gone and there's none remaining, bond or free, and he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they seek refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I, I am, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. It's I who have wounded and I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver you from my hand. So you see, both songs are a song of deliverance for God's people. But it's a challenge. What God are you going to serve? Consider the people that John was writing to when he wrote Revelation. A group of people, Christian believers in seven churches in Asia, and by extension to all people, every place and every time. And he's saying, you know what? There are pharaohs, and there are Caesars, and there are these who claim to be God, to rule over the world. The nations might be under human rulers, whether it's Egypt, or Babylon, or Rome, or Russia, or even America. All the nations combined cannot overthrow God's plans and purposes. And so the song of the Lamb is mentioned. We go back to Revelation 5 when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. They were holding harps and bowls of incense And they sang a new song and they said, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men 
from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Do you see a contrast here? There's the peoples of the world. There's the nations of the earth. There's the gods of this world. And then there's God who vindicates his people and through Jesus Christ is establishing a kingdom that is not of this world. And they will reign. Now, he's saying this to people who are being hunted down like dogs, hiding in caves, being thrown to the lions, people who are being told, if you were just good citizens, you would simply say, Caesar is Lord. We don't care if you worship Jesus. We don't care if you're religious. Just say, Caesar is Lord and everything's good. And they couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it, and rightly so. Why? Because... The song of Moses, God says, I am, and there is no God besides me. And so, we find that there's a competition who's going to be God. And we notice in Revelation 15, if you recall what, that, what they said there, they said, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty, Righteous and true are your ways, who will not fear the Lord and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. Three things. Number one, God's works. In other words, they're singing about what God does. And then they sing about God's ways. In other words, not only what he does, but how he does what he does. And then thirdly, God's worth. The total sum of who he is. He is holy. 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 There's no one in all the universe that's like him. He is completely unique to himself. In other words... In everything that exists, there are two categories, God and not God, right? There's God and there's not God. There's a creator and there's everything else. And that's what this song is about. This God, he does great things. The way he does them is marvelous. Righteous, and he's worthy because there is no one else like him. And so we notice in verse 2 who's singing this song? It's those who overcame the beast, the image, and the number of his name. In other words, the people that decided that the gods of this world are not gods, the people who decided that God alone is God. And they will serve him even if it costs them their lives, are singing, and they have overcome. Whether they're still alive or not, they've already overcome. I love that story of Gideon. Thank you for bringing that up. I love that. He's in the threshing, or he's, he's in a wine press, threshing grain. Does that kind of sound, you follow that part of the story? He's in a wine press. Threshing grain. Why? Because he's hiding. 
And then God addresses him, oh, mighty man of valor. And I could just see Gideon going, who, me? (laughs) He's hiding. Right? To those who overcome. You know, courage is not the absence of being afraid. Courage is doing the right thing in spite of it. None of us need to be, feel ashamed if we get a little nervous. You want to share the gospel with somebody. My knees still knock. It's, in fact, I find it better to even act like I'm embarrassed and tell them I am. Not embarrassed, but I mean nervous. Because they start rooting for you. Oh, well, it's okay. <laughs> what do you got to say? Don't be nervous. <laughs> kind of tune in a little bit more. You know, God's strength is working through our weakness. And these who overcame are singing this song that God does great things. The way he does these great things is absolutely marvelous because there's none like him. And so that's why I talk about rejoicing in wrath. God's about to do something here. He's going to actually put an end to evil, and that's a reason to rejoice. He needs to put an end to evil in us. And we can rejoice because there's a solution. His son Jesus died on the cross. And not only can he forgive us, but when we put our trust in him, he actually comes to live in us and change our hearts from the inside out. There's a solution. N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar, and he says, so what is this like? You know, why would we be so excited about the judge coming? And I'll, I'll make this quick. He said, imagine a little village that's way off the beaten path. And they don't even get visitors. You can hardly get a peddler to come and sell this stuff. You've got to travel, you know, to, to get things that you need. It's so off the beaten path. But there's a circuit judge that comes to the region every now and then. And when that circuit judge comes, the people get excited. Why? Because there's a widow who's been defrauded and had her, her money stolen. But there's nobody to advocate for her. There's a family that's been evicted from a home by a greedy landlord without any knowledge or a prior uh, warning, and so they're tossed out on the street trying to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's an, an, a couple of guys in a business, and one is cheating the other, but he's blaming the other, and getting other people to think that he's actually the bad guy. And so when the judge is coming, there's some excitement because we can plead our case before somebody. And of course, the hope and expectation is that this judge will listen fairly. He'll hear all sides of the story, that he will not take bribes, and that once he's heard the cases and understands the realities behind, renders a just judgment, And because he does so, the entire village is thrilled because things have been set right. And so imagine our planet is a little tiny village in the vast universe where things have gone really bad. And the judge is coming. And he's going to render a righteous judgment. It's going to be in truth. There's going to be justice. And he's going to put an end to evil. 
That's why we rejoice. That's why we say, even so come Lord Jesus. Yesterday, Patty and I were with some family, uh, and uh, her aunt was talking about, ah, just see this stuff happening, and it just terrifies me. just terrifies me what's going on in the world. And Patty said, well, it's going to get this way, but there's actually a hope for those who trust in Jesus (laughs) because it's got to happen because the king is coming, the judge is coming. And all this evil is going to be set right. And so for those of you who've chosen to serve the Lord, it's rejoicing. But for those of you that choose to serve the gods of this world, it's a terror. And may that terror bring you to your knees and repent. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God and the hope that we have in Christ. And may you now... Move in the midst of this congregation. If there's someone here who needs to cross the line and become a follower of Jesus, who needs to repent of the worship of self or the worship of the things of this world and to embrace Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords and to receive the mercy of God, but more than that, to receive the Spirit of God and allow their lives to be changed and surrender themselves to serve you. I pray, touch them now. Grant to them the gift of faith that they might reach out and believe today. In Jesus' name we pray.